Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning. It's Friday the 14th of July in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Today, an olive branch from President Xi. China moves to court private business. As the central bank signals, there's no big stimulus coming. Sunak's payday. The Prime Minister signs off on public sector wage increases in a bid to end union walkouts. And acting out, Hollywood stars and writers both go on strike for the first time in six decades. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. China's President Xi Jinping is signalling greater support for the private sector as the country's post-pandemic recovery struggles. After years of regulatory crackdowns, officials have taken a series of high-profile steps to telegraph backing for private and foreign firms. Premier Li telling executives from tech firms Alibaba and ByteDance that they are the trailblazers of the future. It comes as the Chinese central bank has signalled that no major stimulus is on the way. Bloomberg's Greater China editor John Liu says officials are debating if monetary policy can really help. The issue has been, has the central bank and has the government in general done enough to support the economy, the recovery? There is this uh, concern that a lot of companies are going to borrow and use that money to pay off uh pay off their existing debt, which they have on their books at a higher rate at higher rates. And so that's not going to do very much for the real economy at the present. That's our Greater China editor, John Liu, speaking to us earlier. The PBOC's deputy governor says the bank will continue its targeted and forceful monetary policy in the second half and will push for the overall economy to keep improving. More on that story coming up. Now, the Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Waller says that two more rate hikes may be needed this year. He told an event in York that past increases have already had their effect on the economy. I see two more 25 basis point hikes in the target range over the four remaining meetings this year as necessary to keep inflation moving down towards our target. And I see no reason why the first of those two hikes should not occur at our meeting later this month. With some Fed officials calling for a pause on hikes till the end of the year, hawks like Waller have one less voice on the committee because the St. Louis Fed President James Bullard resigned yesterday to become the inaugural dean of Purdue's business school, effective immediately. Michelle Bullock will become the new governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia when Philip Lowe's term expires in September. The Australian government decided not to reappoint Lowe after criticism of the central bank's performance and an independent review recommended major changes at the institution. Bullock is currently deputy governor and will become the first woman to lead the RBA. I think a big part of my role is going to be what you just mentioned, leading the bank through change, which is a very important part of the next uh, year or so. So thank you. Her seven-year term will begin in September and most economists expect few policy implications from the appointment. 
Now, Rishi Sunak has signed off on pay rises for millions of public sector workers as he battles to end months of industrial action across the UK. The Prime Minister also told unions the offers are, quote, final, and the Treasury says that no new borrowing or spending will fund the pay increases. Now, clearly, this will cost all of you, as taxpayers, more than we had budgeted for. That's why the decision has been difficult and why it has taken time to decide the right course of action. I can confirm today that we are accepting the headline recommendations of the pay review bodies in full, but we will not fund them by borrowing more or increasing your taxes. Rishi Sunak speaking. Junior doctors in England who started a five-day strike yesterday have been offered a 6% pay rise, teachers 6.5% and police 7% in line with the recommendations from the official public pay review bodies. So far, teaching unions have said that they would recommend members accept that pay offer. We'll get the latest quarterly earnings reports later from America's biggest banks, including J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup and Wells Fargo. Here's a preview from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. Expenses will be under scrutiny as the industry copes with a slowdown in deals and pays more to hold on to deposits as interest rates rise. Those challenges are likely to weigh on net interest income, a major source of revenue. Looming over all those issues are questions about how much more capital banks will have to set aside to please regulators following the collapse of four regional lenders earlier this year. And that'll have implications for dividends and buybacks. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Three months after Britain's biggest business lobby was hit by allegations of sexual misconduct, their new chief is calling for a long-term plan for the UK. The CBI Director General, Rain Newton-Smith, told Bloomberg's UK Politics podcast the government needs to think about how it attracts long-term investment. It really is about... The, our potential, our, that is how you create more space in the economy, more spare capacity. And so what you need to see the Chancellor doing is making it easier for businesses to invest in our long-term cap- capital, to think about how we invest in people and innovation. Having a plan for growth, for productivity over the long term is what will help to make sure that we are reaching our full potential as a country. Ray Newton-Smith has one plus with the government. They are now listening to her again. The CBI director met the UK uh, minister, city minister, Andrew Griffith this week. The first known meeting between the lobby and a minister since the scandal in April. And you can find that full interview on Bloomberg's UK Politics podcast. The US Federal Trade Commission lost its legal battle to temporarily block Microsoft from closing its $69 billion takeover of Activision in a legal ruling on Thursday. The US regulator is taking the issue to an emergency court of appeal as it continues to fight the merger. Chair of the FTC, Lena Khan, defended the agency's decision to pursue the ruling to US lawmakers as Republicans labelled her a bully. So I can say again, this was a you know, staff recommendation, I can say it a general matter. Uh, staff always looks closely at an opinion and looks at whether there are certain errors in law that they believe are worth appealing on. Those are in general the types of determinations that go into whether the FTC ends up appealing. Elena Khan from the FTC isn't the only regulator fighting the deal, with the UK's Competition and Markets Authority having vetoed it. Sources telling Bloomberg the two companies are mulling, giving up some control of their UK cloud gaming business as a way to mollify Britain's regulators. 
Okay, so those are a few of our top stories then for you this morning. Um, Not just in the UK, though, that we're seeing strike action. It could mean that we have fewer decent movies and TV shows to watch, actors walking out, stopping uh, projects in the US, and writers are striking too in America. Yeah, so this is the Screen Actors Guild now, the latest body in the entertainment industry. They represent 160,000 performers announcing a walkout uh, on Thursday, actually affecting some film premieres taking place here in London because the stars uh, of Oppenheimer having to essentially leave Mm. uh, before the screening had even started of their films. They spoke to some journalists before uh, but at the moment the strike was announced, they they left, and that is the end uh, of the promotion that we'll see for the really the two big summer blockbusters, both Barbie and Oppenheimer. Now, uh, I mean, I, yeah. I've seen th- these actors have been everywhere. I've been seeing Matt Damon and Emily Blunt all over the media here in the UK this week, um, as they have been out there promoting their film. Yeah, I um, think it's really about trying to get the numbers back into cinemas and and screens. Um, yeah, the issue is is still we're not back to kind of pre pandemic viewing so I think this summer has been seen as a kind of big moment to do these global tours and try to um, yeah drum up interest I suppose in the cinema industry yeah so that a really, yeah, really difficult time for the industry being faced on many fronts there as well. Uh, we've also had uh, some news around the 2023 Women's World Cup as well, yeah. uh, kicking off in Australia and New Zealand well, next it's, week. It's viewing. It's all basically about viewing this whole <laughs> this whole segment. Eyeballs. The, third, yeah, the battle eyeballs. for eyeballs. Yeah, absolutely. Because the 2023 Women's World Cup is kicking off in Australia and New Zealand on the 20th of July. There's been a huge increase in popularity but not the money to back it. And actually sponsors and the TV rights deals have come really last minute, um, if at all. Ticket sales for the tournament, 1.25 million. Um, you know, they've done a good job in terms of trying to get closer to some kind of pay parity between the women football players and, and male mm. football players, but not there yet. Not there yet, but definitely an interesting story to watch. Let's turn, though, to the latest that we've heard from the Chinese Central Bank this morning uh, after it held a briefing on statistics for the first half of the year. Our China economy and government editor, Jill Desis, joins us now with more. Good morning to you, uh, Jill. So there's been this string of weaker economic data coming from China in recent weeks. What was the message from the Central Bank today? Stay calm. Uh, They pretty much just said, um, look, uh, the economy is on the path to recovery. It's important to have confidence and patience in that recovery. Uh, They reiterated that they're going to use whatever policy tools they think are effective here. But ultimately, yes, it was it was definitely a message of just reassurance that things are going to be okay. Market expectations should be stable, that kind of thing. So uh, definitely a message of uh, please just trust us. Yeah, okay. So then what policy tools could the PBOC use to stimulate the economy? And to what extent are we talking about stimulus in China? Sure. So we're really not talking about much. And I think that at this point, a lot of economists have been repeating for weeks now, look, um, the the room for massive amounts of stimulus is really not there this year. What the PBOC outlined today is that um, they'll, to the extent that they have to make use of existing tools that we've already seen them roll out earlier this year, whether that be um, lowering the amount of cash that banks have to keep in reserve, uh, that's the reserve requirement ratio. They kind of suggested maybe they could tweak that again. Um, 
there's also the policy interest rate, the medium-term lending facility rate, uh, rate on one-year loans. That's something that they could look at. We saw them cut that um, by, uh, I think, about 10 basis points last month. I mean, these are existing policy tools that the central bank has that they kind of reiterated that they could potentially use this year, though. I think, as you heard um, my colleague John Liu say earlier, there's been some questions about how useful a lot of those policies actually are this year, uh, given that a lot of companies right now just want to pay down their existing debts. And so I'm not sure how much more uh, cutting interest rates are going to do. But ultimately, the central bank is saying we still have those tools to use if we need to, and they are effective when we use them. Joe, what about on the, the government side? Signals we're getting now of more support for private firms. How significant is this? Right. Yeah, I think that. Uh, so you, you know, you've seen that over the past few weeks, right? I, I mean, Xi Jinping himself has come out and signaled, um, you know, we want to help private firms, foreign firms invest more in the economy. I mean, a lot of that, though, is kind of these vocal overtures, right? I don't know that we've seen a whole lot of specific policies for doing so. That strikes me as more of a confidence play than anything else when you've got, you know, the premier coming out and saying, you know, or um, or at least like, you know, talking to tech firms, for example, about wanting to help them do better in the economy. Maybe that's more of a signal of ending um, a lot of the regulatory scrutiny than it is of um, specific policies that are being rolled out. But it's certainly something I think to keep keep in mind um, and, and to look out for in the future how much that tone is changing in China. Yeah, very interesting. Jill, thank you so much for being with us. That is our China Economy and Government Editor, Jill Dices, uh, joining us for all the latest details. Coming up next, MPs China warning, and not just an AGM, it's an MS AGM. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The Paper Review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. And Bloomberg's Leanne Gerens joins us in studio with details of those stories. Um, Let's start, though, briefly, Leanne, with The Guardian. The headline there on Rishi Sunak driving doctors out of the NHS with a pay offer. That's what union leaders are saying. Yes, and we did hear from Rishi Sunak a little bit earlier in the show that he has accepted these recommendations for a pay offer for the NHS. But according to The Guardian, the British Medical Association says the government is driving doctors away from the health service by accepting these recommendations of the pay review bodies. The BMA is also accusing the Tories of missing an opportunity to put a credible pay offer on the table to end strikes. The Guardian says the health union leaders are furious after a warning from Rishi Sunak that his offer of 6% pay rises this year was final. Now that offer is running below inflation which is currently at 8.7% and the Royal College of Nursing whose members were offered 5% that was under separate NHS negotiations said ministers were taking an arrogant approach to the pay review when 100,000 nurses had voted to continue to strike. And we do know that Whitehall departments 
have been told to fund these rises from existing budgets. So what mm. does that mean for them going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Being closely watched, the issue around pay and strike action. Meanwhile, the Financial Times has an opinion piece from the Marks & Spencer chairman, Archie Norman, which says that the bond between British business and society has eroded. Yes, indeed, Caroline. So Archie Norman says people feel detached from the businesses that employ, profit, invest and pay tax in. So he says the the percentage of equities now owned by people has fallen significantly for three decades to just 12%. Now that compares to over 50% back in the 1960s. Norman argues that in the Thatcher major era, large numbers of employees got share options in companies they worked for. Mm. But he's saying today the public has lost that stake and he's basically got a few suggestions in this piece which are extremely interesting. He says maybe an option is to slim down the corporate governance, he argues, is eroding connections between publicly owned businesses and people. He's saying annual reports are now hundreds and hundreds of pages long, Mm -hmm. making them unsuitable for private shareholders. He said maybe posting them online as they do in the US is a good idea. It would save money to reinvest in real shareholder communication. And in response to this, M&S has launched this broad-based campaign for shareholder democracy and engagement, which he says has got so much interest. And Caroline, I know Archie Norman also discussed a delicate question of annual general meetings. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.